This is your Kick-Ass Life Podcast, episode number 220. This is the Your Kick-Ass Life Podcast with Andrea Owen, a no BS guide to self-help and badassery. Because ladies, let's face it, life's too short for it to not kick ass. And here's your host, the girl who serves it up straight with a side of crazy, Andrea Owen. Hey, ass kickers, we are back with our regularly scheduled programming. I am so happy to be back. Thank you for your patience as we took a break last week. Coming off the heels of February's Daily Diaries, which I'm sure a lot of people are still catching up on. I know that's kind of how I consume podcasts too. I go back a couple of months and and it might be a little bit all over the place. But thank you for those of you who do that. And thank you to those of you who stay up to date and are my ride or die people who listen to the podcast right when it comes out. I'm so grateful for all of you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I have an amazing guest today, my friend, Barry Tesler. I've mentioned her on the podcast here before. And I wanted to tell you before I tell you a little bit about Barry is that I mentioned this last, no, it was two weeks ago. I forget that we didn't have a podcast last week. I am planning a retreat. I had said on the, the other podcast episodes that I was contemplating it. And I'm like, well, I want to see if anybody's actually interested in it. Thank you for those of you who signed up to be notified right away of this retreat that I am tentatively scheduling for the beginning of August. I'm going to do it. I am, okay, I've been researching places and oh my gosh. Okay, so. I'm not going to go on and on about it. If you are interested in being the first to know, this is going to be a smaller retreat. This is going to be, I think I can take only a maximum of like eight or nine women. So if you want to be the first to know, because this is going to sell out long before we we even go, go to yourkickasslife.com slash retreat. The curriculum is going to be the daring way. This is the work I do with my private clients. This work was actually created by Brene Brown and her senior faculty to be carried out and facilitated in groups over a weekend. That's the original scheduling that they gave us. And the problem with what I do is that this is one of those things that like I tell you about where I'm like, I don't think anybody actually cares, but <laughs> I feel like you were all my friends. So I'm going to tell you anyway, <laughs> because I do a lot of my work online. I have group programs. So, you know, anybody in the world can, can do it and can come to, to learn and, and get their personal development on is that as a facilitator, I cannot facilitate the work. It's part of the guidelines without either being in person with you or having you on video. And so the convenience of having an online group is that if you have to miss or the time zone isn't working out for you, that you can go and catch the replay later. It's kind of an online thing. And I'm not allowed to do that with this work. Therefore, I have not, I did a group like right when I first got certified back in, I think it was like early 2015, I did a group and it was amazing. And then it just became too difficult. It was online, but we all met on video. It became too difficult to find a time that worked for everybody. Anyway, long story short, I do it one-on-one and I've done does I've taken dozens of women through it privately and we meet weekly over the course of five or six months and the work is stretched way out and it's amazing and life-changing and I really miss doing it in the group and it's and it's actually more affordable if somebody wants to come uh, do it in this retreat. 
Also, this introductory price, the first time I roll it out, it's going to be at an introductory price. I would like to have to do these yearly. Anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. I don't need to go on and on about it. If you want to hear more about it, and if you think you might want to come, it's most likely going to be in Asheville, North Carolina. And oh my gosh, you guys, these places that I'm thinking about renting, the grounds, I, I can't. They're so beautiful. I want to move there. It's in the mountains. Oh my gosh. Yourkickasslife.com slash retreat if you want to be the first to know. All right, let's get on with the show. Let me first tell you a little bit about Barry so you know who she is. Barry Tesler Linden is a financial therapist and mentor coach. Barry's gentle, body-centered approach weaves together personal, couple, and creative money teachings into one complete tapestry. She is the founder of The Art of Money, a global year-long money school which integrates money healing, money practices, and money maps. Her work has been featured on Oprah.com, Inc.com, and The Huffington Post, and in U.S. News and World Report, among many, many others. Barry is also the author of The Art of Money, a life-changing guide to financial happiness. So without further ado, here is Barry. Barry, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy and honored and excited to be here. And today we are talking about one of my favorite topics lately. This has not always been my favorite topic, and that is money and and more specifically about your book, The Art of Money, A Life-Changing Guide to Financial Happiness. And one of the many things you talk about, and I've, I've talked about this here and there on the podcast, and we talk about story and the stories that we make up, whether they're stories from childhood or past relationships or whatever, and you talk about having a money story. So can you start by telling us what that is and what is what is your money story? Sure. You know, this is something that I'm still figuring out. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been doing my work for 16 years, my money work. A decade before that, I trained to be a somatic therapist, and I have many, many pieces and parts to my money story, and I can tell this, you know, I can tell a full, complete story, but it's something that is is ongoing. My relationship to money is something that I'm fine-tuning every year. I'm maturing every year, right, and working on um, probably until the day I die. So Mm -hmm. I just want to put that out there, right? This is something that I have a story, and I've learned so much about it. Um, And and let's see if I can do a short version. Number one is that – let me just say why I started doing this work, and then I'll share more of my story – is that, as I said, I I trained to be a therapist. I went – to Naropa University in my 20s at the age of 24 to train to be a therapist. And I grew up wanting to be a solid gold dancer. Me too. Ah! You must be the same age. (laughs) I know, huh? I might be a little older, but yes, or or similar, similar, right? That was number one. Number two was a businesswoman. I didn't even know what that meant or what kind of business I wanted to be a part of, but my father was a businessman, you know, Mm -hmm. that was number two. And then as a teenager, I asked to go to therapy. I wanted to understand myself better. So a solid gold dancer, businesswoman, and psychotherapy. Um, I feel I put those all together in my twenties and created my work as a financial therapist. But I, in my twenties training as a therapist, I really thought that my topics would be sexuality and body and food and intimacy and death and bereavement. That's, that's what I thought I'd be working on. All Uh, light and airy topics. I know, I know. (laughs) Um, you know, yes, but, um, what happened was my student loan came due for my graduate school program. And that was my moment where I just had this complete freak out. 
and total epiphany of, wait a second, what is my relationship to money? Do I have one? And how did they leave this topic and theme out of my entire graduate program as we're studying to be therapists? Mm. And I wanted to work around intimacy and work with couples. And how was I going to do that if we never talked about money? And how was I going to start a business and practice if I didn't know bookkeeping and I didn't even know my own money story? You know, So I didn't even realize that until the student loan came due. And in that moment, I really thought about running away and traveling the world and being a nomad and never coming back, you know, and not paying off my student loan and not dealing with this area of my life because it terrified me. You know, it was just so unknown. I had studied and researched every other topic or many, many other topics except for this one. Okay. So that's me at 28. Um, back up, you know, I start at that age, I, I decide to not run away <laughs> and travel as a nomad. I decide to face it. Like I do most things head on and learn everything that I could on a practical level, emotional level, psychological level and spiritual level. And that was everything from learning bookkeeping, which, you know, I wasn't good at math growing up. So I had somehow said, if I'm not good at math, then I can't do money, mm-hmm. you know? And when I started learning bookkeeping systems, I was terrified. And so someone had to hold my hand with a box of tissues and a lot of dark chocolate and step by step I learned. And I it blew my mind open that I, as someone who was not good at math, you know, could learn these systems. But here's a little bit about my story. Um, my money story and a money story is just made up of everything from your childhood of, of what you were raised in, the environment that you were raised in, the economic class, whoever raised you, mom and dad, mom and mom, mom and grandparents, what was their relationship to money, positively and negatively, what was directly discussed with you, what was not, what did you learn from them, what did you um, rebel against, what did you you know see was working and you are continuing what religion, spirituality were you born into? There's so many factors, right? Our money story is being formed as we grow up and both in our environments and also just based on our nature, you know, and who we are. I mean, little example, I'm the oldest of three siblings and my sister, my brother were basically saving money. You know, my brother had a little bank at the age of five and then my sister was saving too. That wasn't my relationship to money. Mm -hmm. I, I was a spender. I had so many desires and I wanted to buy my mom at the school fair, a ring at the school fair. And I wanted candy and, you know, just, yeah, that's my daughter. My daughter's the spender. She's eight. And my son is the saver and he's 10. It's fascinating to me. Isn't that fascinating? So, you know, I was aware of that early on, like here I am, why I have all these desires and, you know, I felt a little bad, but I just had lots of desires. I had a lot of wants and they didn't. And I thought it was so interesting. We were being raised in the same household, right? Just a few years apart. Right. So, um, my money story is that I grew up in a middle-class family. And so I was very aware that there were people who had a lot more money than us. And there were people who had a lot less Mm -hmm. than us. Okay. So I remember sitting in the middle, um, and being really aware of that. I was raised by entrepreneurs, but I didn't quite get this until much later that my father worked for himself. I knew that. And he was a really intense Chicago business guy. And my mom, they ran the business together, but somehow I always thought my mom did the bookkeeping um, for my dad's business. 
which is not true. They were working together, you know, for years. My father was the front guy. He made the deals and my mom did all the bookkeeping, which it took me years to, you know, when I fell in love with bookkeeping, I was like, wait a second, this is in my lineage. My mother did this and she loved QuickBooks and her mother did bookkeeping. I was kind of blown away, right? Mm -hmm. That because I really, as a therapist, dancer, creative person, I, I did not think that I would enjoy this part of life, you know, but it was in my lineage. Um, there's positive and negative things in my money story, just like everyone. So I got to watch my father work for himself, do work that he loved, but I also got to see how intense it was for him and how intense he was. And I kind of thought I'm never going to do business like him. I need a different approach. Does it even exist? You know? Um, so there was that, but then there was also a lot growing up middle-class. There was a lot of generosity in my family, and then a lot of unspoken conditions. And I'll just say a few more pieces and complete, because I could go on and on about my money story. And and what I mean by that is my father at the age of 15 said to me, okay, uh, over this weekend, go and apply to five different jobs and come back and let me know how it goes, you know? And I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> you do that. And and I don't, I, I don't even know what I like and what I want to do. And like, is that's this an scary. experiment? Like, yeah. <laughs> No, it was just go out and do this. And so there was definitely a lot of tough love, you know, lessons that he was trying to teach me. And he wanted me to work. He wanted me to learn how to work. He mm -hmm. he needed to learn how to work from a young age. And he wanted to pass it on to me. But there was, it was just go do this thing, but no teachings on you know, what are your values or what are your skill sets or, you know, how are you feeling about this, honey? You know? And so that stuff just freaked me out. And I would just do it. I would just push through and do it, you know? So again, I learned some good things about pushing through, but there wasn't any softness or gentleness or compassion, you know, mm -hmm. or in college, my father would have me make copies of, remember our paper registers when back in the day, we would have bank registers where yes. we would add up man, right. With pencil. And, yep. um, and so I would do that. I wouldn't really add it up. I just would put in all the transactions everywhere I spent money and I would photocopy it every Friday and send it off to him. I don't even know how he sent it off. There was an email back then. I would mail it to him. Actual mail. <laughs> Actual mail. Right. And, and then that was it. There wasn't a part two, three or four in this teaching. It wasn't where he wanted me to spend what was okay, what wasn't, what are some limits, let's talk about budgets and planning. He just wanted me to do that odd step. So again, all these conditions now, and yet tons of generosity. He was helping me pay for college, right? Um, I had to work too, but I got to spend that money on my own. So there was just this mixed bag of a lot of generosity. There are a lot of conditions that were never directly spoken to. And so I was left totally confused. And then I had to work through all of that. And I had to rebel against my father in my early 20s. And he wanted me to go to Japan because I was learning Japanese um, a few summers in a row so that I could work with him in business and speak Japanese. And at the last minute, I said, I'm not going to Japan, Dad. I'm going to Israel. And he said, that's the worst mistake you're ever going to make. And I came back a year later and he said, wow, look at you. You've completely transformed. And I'm so impressed. And, but I had to do a big screw you, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm parting ways with you and your ways and I need to find my own path. And so I haven't even talked about my mother, my grandma, there's so much more, but this is so many layers. A, 
this is there's layers of it. This is a little bit of of my money story that both taught me some positive things that I also rebelled against and things you know that I was taught that I would never ever do and had to unravel all of that in my 20s, you know, to yeah. find my own way and really then my early 30s. Yeah. Hmm. That's fascinating and I think what what I was thinking of when you were telling that story is that I think that we have these these sort of stories that get made up in our mind and you gave us just like a brief snapshot of, of what yours looked like for money. But I think we have them for relationships. We have them specifically for sex. We have them for career. And it just, it's so fascinating to me, you know, as a self-proclaimed personal development junkie who I'm not a trained therapist, but I know how important family of origin is in figuring out, you know, where our core beliefs come from so that we can choose more empowering ones, you know, the ones that actually don't serve us. And it just is, I geek out on this. It's so fascinating to me. And what, what I would love for you to speak on next is money shaming and how it affects our ability to reach our goals. And, and what I want to say before that is when I say that, that ask you that question, the story, the quick story that comes up for me is, I, this wasn't even that long ago. This was maybe 18 months ago or so. We had a, our financial advisor, he needed, he needed something, you know how social security, social security has that, like, you know, they keep records on us, our permanent record of how much money we have told the IRS we make every year. Have you ever seen, I'm sure you've seen that, right? Yeah. Okay. Yes. There's a name for it. I don't know what it is. Permanent record. That's what I'm going to call it. (laughs) like this, this one sheet that says that goes all the way back to the time that you first filed taxes. For me, it was probably 1994, you know, like my first real job where I I made, you know, like $2,000 that year or something, very part-time job. And so you can see like the, the, the timeline of year after year after year of like what you claimed you made. And I remember I, I printed that out and it was just shame washed over me because there it was in black and white. And I felt like that's, there's my worth literally right there in front of me. And yes, there had been some jumps of the past years, but I wasn't where I wanted to be. So I have felt that shame viscerally before. So I would love to hear you talk about that. Like what is money shaming and how does it affect our ability to reach the goals that we want to reach? Yes. And, and, you know, in that moment you were confusing your net worth or like this number on the social security statement, mm-hmm. right. With your self-worth. Yeah, totally. And good. I'm, I am proud to say that I knew that like yeah. two minutes later, but in that moment, who that knocked me down. Yeah. And so we all have these moments. That's what's fascinating for me is that, you know, I mostly do my work in groups and have for the last 16 years because from day one, I just knew that we all have money shame. Again, no matter what economic class you were born into, no matter what income level you are now, no matter what lineage you come from, no matter what part of the world, right? Um, I've seen this over and over and over in small moments and big moments. Sometimes we have these moments where it just stops us in our tracks, right? Mm -hmm. And it could be everything. Money shame is everything from I... Um, you know, this is an example. I got married years ago and I, we signed a prenuptial agreement. I never read it years later. We're getting divorced and I would have done that so differently. I would have read that agreement. I would have stood up for myself in a completely different way. I would have claimed my value, you know, and, and done that differently. But the part of me 
back then that was the best that that part of me could Mm -hmm. do. You know, it's everything from that. It's people who are high earners and they can't save. They keep overspending or they keep going into debt and they haven't learned yet to slow down and look at their numbers and start directing their monies in other ways. It's, it's also people who work in the corporate world who just feel like they should be able to do all of this money stuff by themselves and Mm -hmm. never hire a bookkeeper an accountant or financial planner or so on. Right. Because we should, we're smart enough. We're so smart in so many ways. We should be able to do this or, you know, I, I used to throw them away my bank statements in my twenties in graduate school, they would come and I would throw them out because I didn't know what to do with them. Yeah. And I didn't want to look at my numbers and there's just, there's, or, you know, we feel we're under earners, you know? And I mean, I can tell so many stories of when money shame comes up, but you've already met, you've already spoken to it a bit. It's, you know, shame comes up whenever we're taking on this, a new area of life, you know, like around and learning about it for the first time. And we just feel it first. We don't do it right. We're bad and wrong. Um, this part of ourselves is not okay, you know, yet, or it's not in the moment. It just feels not okay. That's what shame is for me. We don't feel okay. I remember the first time I started doing relationship work and intimacy work. I was, I had so much shame about who I was or my stories or, you know, um, my feelings, they were so big, you know, at the time. And, and it's similar with just any other big area of life, you know, any other big garden of life, intimacy, body, food, right. And it's the same with money. When we start taking this on and what I've seen is, you know, my community is 25 to 75 years old. Sometimes we get early twenties. Um, but that's a huge age range and it's people for the first time saying I'm ready. You know, I've developed in so many other areas of my life and I haven't, I don't feel I've developed enough or at all in this area called money, you know, and it's time. It's really time. So sometimes when we first step into it, we just feel a cloak, a heaviness of shame of I'm not okay. Something's wrong with me. Everyone else knows how to do this except me. Everyone else learned this from their family or somehow, or I just suck at this or I'm not, I'm smart in many ways, but I, I just feel stupid, you know? Um, so that, that, that's a little bit about shame. It comes up again for so many of us. And that's why I do love doing groups and teaching in groups because we get to see people from all different backgrounds and the person who came from a wealthy family who we think shouldn't have any money issues or any life issues. They do, they do, you know, similar with me, middle-class or someone who comes from more, um, lower income family. We all have strengths around money. We all have challenges around money. We've all had things to overcome. Um, So money shame for me is really, you know, so normal, so common. Again, you know, everyone that I know has some of it and it comes up in different ways. And one of the very first tools that I always recommend when people say to me, so what's one step or one strategy or one tool that you can do around your relationship to money? I say, okay, I can give you three or two or, you know, my first one is a body check-in. And that changes everything. And it's not, you do it once and then you're done. You know, it's Mm a, it's a practice that you start to do daily, um, during all the money interactions that happen when you're going to go online and look at your numbers, when you're going to go have a money conversation with your honey, your partner, your spouse, when you're going to go tell a client your fees and so on. Right. And a body check-in is just stopping and pausing and taking 30 seconds or a few minutes to check in on a physical level sensation level, emotional level, and 
breathing. You know, what, where is your breath in your body? How deep, how shallow checking in on those four levels. And then I always like to complete a body check-in with what's one little adjustment you can make right now, like lower your shoulder, lowering your shoulders, doing a little shimmy to loosen things up, loosening your jaw, uncrossing your legs. It could be taking a deeper breath. There's, there's no right or wrong. Right. And for me, this teeny little simple tool is one of those things that's so simple on the surface and so profound when actually practice like all my tools. And I just invite people to start doing it on a daily basis. And you know, what, what does that do? It starts bringing awareness to your patterns, to your feelings, to the huge range of emotion that comes up around money, um, which I can talk about, or, um, uh, you know, it pauses you in the moment to, just see what you're doing. Um, it's awareness and awareness for me is huge. And from awareness, it leads to understanding and from understanding it leads to change, right? But first we need to understand what our patterns are, what we're doing, um, what are our beliefs, what are our stories. And it's all right there in the moment. And it's, again, it's not a, you do it once and then you figure yourself out and you're done. It's, it's a long journey. But when I say to my folks, like, what was your favorite thing about the year long program. I teach this work in a year. They say the body check-in, they say that was a life changing tool. And then some of my other tools are a lot more practical, like pick a bookkeeping system and get someone to hold your hand and teach you how to use it and on and on, you know, but number one is body check-in. And for me, this is the antidote to money shame. That's interesting that it's, and I believe it, that it's something so simple. I, I think that one of I make up that one of the biggest feelings that comes up for people around money and discussing it and looking at it is anxiety. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. Not that I know that from experience or anything, but. <laughs> well, so that, that's yours then, right? Yes. Because whenever pe- people say to me, what if people fear so much or why are they so angry? I'm like, oh, interesting, you know, because for me, there's an entire spectrum. And on one side of the spectrum, there is anxiety. Um, people have a lot of anxiety in their body, right? And for me, I do go back to the body because I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a somatic trained therapist. So I want to know where does that show up in your body? What's the feeling sensation? So anxiety is big for some people. Um, for other folks, it's huge anger. They're just so pissed that that they have to deal with this part of life. They want someone just to do it for them, you know, or they feel really sad that certain needs were unmet years ago and they're still waiting for those to be met in certain ways. Right. And money, represents that for them or they project onto money that, you know, and so there's sadness. Then there's, um, there's some people just completely check out. They leave their body, they stick their head in the sand, they go numb. Um, other people guilt is huge or jealousy is huge or, you know, so there's, there's, those are many, those are about six, you know, and then the other side of the spectrum is hope or joy or, um, you know, just, just that, yeah, joy that things could be different or just imagining that you could create a livelihood, um, based on your values or on and on, you know, I'm starting to get a little bit out of emotions, but those are just some of the emotions that come up the same ones that come up in any other big area of life. Yeah, for sure. We're interrupting this conversation to hear a quick word about one of our sponsors. 
You know I'm always telling you how in order to slow down, listen to your intuition, and surrender, you need a practice. And yoga and meditation are excellent practices for cultivating those things. I've also been honest with y'all about how I tend to ride the struggle bus when it comes to this, right? Yoga Glow is online yoga and meditation that you can do literally anywhere. I started using Yoga Glow last year when my friend told me about it because it's so convenient. They have unlimited access for just $18 a month. And y'all, they have thousands of classes from the best of the best instructors throughout the world. Another thing I love about them is that you can search based on instructor, type of yoga or meditation, the amount of time the class is, and even by category like prenatal or digestion or sleep, really anything. And I have to say, I have seen a difference in my own mood, my creativity, and just all around in my emotional and mental well-being since I've been using Yoga Glow. Get your first two weeks of Yoga Glow free when you sign up on Yoga yogaglow.com slash kickass. That's yogaglo.com slash kickass for two weeks free. yogaglo.com slash kickass. I know that you talk a lot about money being a great way to connect on a deeper level if someone's in a partnership or with their significant other. What does that look like and how can we keep it from being a stressful experience? So just to name number one, it usually is a very stressful experience for a lot of couples, right? As, as if, if, for most of us, five years in, 10 years in, 30 years in, right? Because most of us, if not all, we're not given a financial education, right? From grade school on up in small little increments, right? On a practical, emotional, psychological, and spiritual level. So here we are as adults and we have our own money story that's been created and that we're working with and working through. And, um, and then we get together with another human and they have their own, they have their money. own stuff. Yeah. Stuff. They, you know, we each earn and spend and save and give and loan and borrow and invest in different ways. There may be some commonality, but for the most part, you don't get two people that do things in the same way. We just don't, mm -hmm. right? Even if you came from the same economic background, you may do things really differently. And some couples come from completely different economic backgrounds, right? Or different religions or different parts of the world and so on. So two people come together and usually there's a polarizing that happens. I'm going to totally generalize for a second. So one person is, you know, has a financial background. So they love spreadsheets. They whip out spreadsheets and they're trying to teach their partner how to read them because it's so obvious to them. And it's so matter of fact. And the other person is over there going, I hate this and big emotions. I mean, I, I've heard stories of, you know, a couple where he came from a financial background and he kept trying to teach his wife um, how to read these spreadsheets. And she was over there, number one, going, you're pissing me off. I don't <laughs> want to do this right now. Or or, you know what, this is very emotional for me. And I don't even know yet how to express that, you know, yeah. and ending crying or swearing or fighting or, you know, and he just felt like, well, he comes from a financial background, so he should be able to teach her. Right. And eventually they did my work and he didn't so much have his arm twisted. He was open, but he was skeptical. He was like, wow, Barry's work seems, um, some people say emotional, what do they say? Uh, mushy gushy. No, or just, just filled with emotions. I'm like, yeah, I'm a trained therapist, you know, and mm -hmm. it's going to come up. It's going to come up. I love the practical, but what he eventually learned was again, the missing piece for him as a finance person was the emotional psychological side of your relationship to money. So he thought he could be the best teacher for her, but she needed 
a different approach. Yeah. She needed yeah. an approach that honored this is emotional for some people, um, needed a more creative apo- approach, you know, so they totally polarized and like he somehow was the smarty pants cause he came and she felt stupid. Right. Or other people, one person like is really worried about money and likes to track everything really vigilantly. And the other person likes to not pay attention and wants to just enjoy life and stick their head in the sand. And I'm totally generalizing, but couples usually polarize. Okay. Um, so it's good to just at some point figure out how you're polarizing, but this is how I do it with couples. I feel like we have to go back to clean slate beginning, right? Because most couples bring up money. When do they bring up money? I always tell the story, like either, um, you're in bed, you're right. You're getting ready for sleep. And one person is like, Oh, let me talk about this money thing, you know, right before bed. Most of the time, I'd say 95% of the time, that's not going to go so well. Right. Right. Bed. Um, another scenario is you, you open up your credit card statement or your bank statement and you see, um, something that your partner spent money on and you're horrified, just horrified because two people spend differently, Mm -hmm. right? Like it's important to me. We may have the same values on the surface, but I, you know, me and my husband have a really funny story. He likes road bikes. I was horrified, you know, at the cost of road bikes. That, well, yes, that's not a cheap sport. <laughs> that's not a cheap sport. You know, he was always not horrified, but we would joke about it. It'd be, you know, he, he could not understand my relationship to self-care and acupuncture and massage and lotions. He just couldn't get it. You know, we had to really sit down and not plead our cases, but to just present why each of these things were so important to us, you know? Mm-hmm. And eventually we added up my self-care and lotions for a few years and it equaled one of his road bikes, you know, and that was just funny. But, um, so, so, oh yeah. So you, you, you get, you open up a credit card statement. You see that your partner has spent money in a way that you just don't understand yet. You're horrified and you go running up the stairs there in the shower and you start like yelling at them, you know, I'm, these things happen or just versions of it. This is how we do money. Right. So I have like a four step process. There's many more steps and many more things, but a very simple way just to begin how to have couples money dates. And it's not talking about the numbers until step two or three, really step three. Step one is, is meeting for 30 minutes and each of you gets 15 minutes to, you know, talk about your money story. You know, I call it story time. You can talk about growing up, what your mom did, what your dad did, grandparents, anything you want to share. You start with story time, right? And you do those body check-ins. Like if you're freaking out while your partner's telling a story because you're so mad, you need to say something, you know, do your own body checking, come back to yourself. I always say no shame, no blame, you know, mm-hmm. and you just want to start out where you each get 15 minutes and you don't get to respond. You just listen to each other. That's step one. Step two is talking about your values, right? Again, most people come together for many reasons, attraction, but also shared values. But then when we go to spend and save and invest in all these things, we do it differently. So I want you to start talking about your values and how do you represent them in your spending and saving and all of that. And and I'm going to be brief here because, you know, I and and because there's so much to say. But then step three is who's on what and who's doing the bookkeeping and who's doing the tracking and, can you know, Um, you know, one of you may love it more than the other one, but I still want the other person then to come in monthly. 
on your monthly money dates. And maybe you don't learn how to work a whole system, even though I think it's really helpful to learn how to navigate one bookkeeping system. You don't have to track forever. You might want to track for three months and then pass it on to a bookkeeper six months. But it was revolutionary for me to learn bookkeeping years ago. Hmm. And I, you know, I learned so much about business. I learned so much about accounting, but I learned so much about my spending habits. And that's how I formed an intimacy. I used to manually track on QuickBooks every few days um, with my dark chocolate and my candles all lit, you know, and my essential oils. Like I always needed to add in that extra stuff. Some people like to add in music do whatever you need to do. Right. And, and tracking was the way it was a practice and how I learned about my numbers and my cash flow and my patterns. It was incredibly, incredibly helpful. But to come back to the step three is who's going to do the bookkeeping. One Mm -hmm. of you needs to do it. And then the other person needs to come in monthly and you guys need to review the numbers together. Right. And then step four is just, are you on the same team and about visions and dreams and goals? I'm totally simplifying, but these are four steps, um, of helping people just start from the beginning, uh, with their money dates. Uh, you know, as I was saying, couples have, who've been together for years, there's a lot of stuff from the past. We come together, we either merge money right away or we're separate for many years or too many years. I don't have a right or wrong about merging or separate. It's really about what's right for that couple. Mm -hmm. Me and my husband were separate for seven years until I got pregnant. And then we, it was like, so obvious it was time to merge, you know, other couples merge right away. And then years later they decide to separate and their finances. And that's what saves their marriage. I mean, I've seen that a lot or other people merge right away. And then one person decides to stay home to have the kids And that was talked about, but it really wasn't a conscious, great decision. And, you know, there's just a lot of things that were swept under the rug. So this is a really, again, a simple kind of framework for getting people to start over and, you know, to start creating an environment where there's more safety, there's more compassion, or you're building that, you know, you're growing that in these little money dates that can happen every two weeks, once a month. It really depends on what phase of life you're in, how many kids you have, all Mm -hmm. of that. And that's just a beginning. And at couples, it's hard work. You know, I always, (laughs) it sounds like it. Yeah. I always say we need to do our own work first or a little bit of it. You know, in the past people would say, well, my partner's not willing at all, but I need to do this work. And I say, great. So you go, you start, you begin, you know, um, you never know what's going to happen six months, a year down the road. They may start looking over your shoulder and saying, what are you doing? Or you may start shifting. And then all of a sudden you can ask them to join you in a different way without being so pissed that they're not joining you or you just never know. So I always say the person who's ready begin. Yes. It's great when you have two willing people, but it's not, that's not always the case. That's, I mean, it, I love that. And I, I knew that you taught that I didn't know the ins and outs of it. And I am going to take that and talk to my husband about it. We've, we've come a long way with even just, you know, talking about our money stories and getting out of a lot of debt. <laughs> uh, I mean, debt that a lot of people file bankruptcy for, we paid it off. And I'm so proud of us as a couple for doing that. But hearing all of you say that, I'm like, oh, we still have a lot of work to do. And What's interesting, a couple things jumped out at me 
and it could go in like three different directions, but I know a lot of women who, and I'm sure you have so much to say on this, probably for another podcast episode, but a lot of women who, and even women who, some women who take my classes or are my clients who have to get permission from their partner to spend the money. And I'm, and I'm just like, and it is not my place to comment on that in the moment. And I just have to say, okay. And, but it is like, there's a part of me where my heart just breaks. And it's like, you were saying like, this is something that's important to them and they have to, uh, okay, I'm going to stop talking. <laughs> what it just, can you, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So, you know, there's so many different pathways, right? And that's one old version that's still going on, yeah. right? Of you're in a female male marriage, mm-hmm. right? And somehow the man is, well, there, you know, it may just be simply mom is staying, woman is staying home to take care of the kids. Right. Right. And the father's out earning the income in that way. And so he's bringing home the bacon literally. And somehow then that gets put in the category of then they get to make all the money decisions. Yes. No. And the woman in that case, you know, is usually grappling with her value and is being a mom enough? Yes. You know, is, uh, you know, how do I value the work that I do day in and day out? And for me, they're equal, like equal, you know, 50, 50, uh-huh. but I may have to help couples talk that through. Yeah. I imagine um, it can be complicated. Yeah. You know, for all sorts of reasons. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the man may have some feelings about it and he may feel like, well, I'm the breadwinner. So I get a little more say or, okay, let's talk about that. You know, and the woman may feel, yeah, maybe really grappling, you know, with their value. I've seen this over and over. And the fact that they're not out in the world earning in that way, seeing this scenario play out in many ways, it's still 50, 50 to me completely Mm -hmm. for, you know, what each person is contributing. Right. And that each really need to be making the decisions and feel more empowered. But this is a dynamic. This is both need to talk about this, both need to feel safe to express their feelings, to share old stories, you know, to share, you know, old versions of what marriage means and what each of their roles are. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I, I personally couldn't be in a scenario where I had to ask Um, I mean, but again, that goes back to my money story. I felt so controlled early on that I was determined to never, you know, be controlled by man and money, Mm -hmm. you know, left my Chicago Jewish, wealthy lawyers, doctors, business guys, you know, and I said, I'm not marrying one of you, you know, because Mm -hmm. I need a different path and moved out to Colorado very early and married more of a hippie guy. I was a hippie at the time and we grew together, you know, and I needed, I've always needed to make my own money. And that's partially based on my own money story. Right. So yeah, it's so fascinating. And I mean, it could go either way because I had a similar, well, the advice that I got was from my mom was that because she was married previously before she married my dad, and that marriage did not end up working out. She had two children. She was a single mom. Thank goodness she had a bunch of sisters to rely on to help her because she was not receiving any kind of support from her ex-husband. And she told me from an early age, 
don't ever rely on a man for money. If I teach you nothing else in your life, don't ever rely on a man for money. But what I saw was kind of this, you know, traditional family where my mom did work, but my dad was the breadwinner. And that's what I grew up (laughs) and took on is that kind of traditional quote unquote family. But what's also interesting is, and it's, it's not to like shit on men out there who, who have the belief where if they earn the money, then they get to be in control of it. Because here's something interesting. So my husband and I, I think it was in 2016 where my income surpassed his. So early on in our marriage, I, I I did work and then I quickly didn't work because we went to the races and started having babies right away. And so that was weird and awkward for me, you know, not earning anything and then starting a brand new business, which for anyone out there who has started a business, you know, sometimes even the first couple of years, you can be in the red. If yeah. you know, you're lucky if you break even for many people. And then yeah. it finally started to pick up steam and then the tables turned and I started to earn more and I was really uncomfortable with it. He was not. And then I have found myself, full disclosure, being a little bit passive aggressive about his spending. So I'm taking on that bullshit (laughs) because I I earn more. I need to control it. Yes. And I love that you're being so honest. This happens again. You know, it could be reversed or, you know, me and my husband, we've gone back and forth where there were years where I was making more. And I noticed I I was doing that control thing a little Mm -hmm. bit, you know, or we were having this really healthy, but kind of on the edge competition, you know, who is making more money. And, you know, it's just all real. That's all going to come up. And, and that all just needs to be on the open and discussed. And sometimes we can do that um, alone. And sometimes we just need a third party, um, to really help us understand our biases, to help us put each ourselves in the other person's shoes, you know, to realize, Hey, we each have things to learn from each other around money. No one's perfect here. No one's Mrs. Or Mr. Smarty pants. We all have things to teach each other, mm-hmm. you know? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's all about it. You know, it's all, I have a whole chapter in my book on it's never about money. Right. So it is about, it's never about the money. It's It's not, but it is in the sense that like we, most of us were not given a financial education. Right. So there are many things, the language of money systems and things that we need to learn. Right. So it's that, or we are, we need to earn more or right. Things like there are things about the numbers and there are concrete things, Mm -hmm. but it's not about the money is all these deeper issues. And this is where concepts of power, value, taking responsibility, all of it comes up, you know, that these are the deeper themes that come up and really need to be talked about, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. This has been so insightful. And I have one more question for you before we wrap up. And that is, you mentioned your book, The The Art of Money. And how did the methodology change your life that you write about in this book? Hmm, Wonderful question. Um, So, you know, as I mentioned at the beginning, you know, I told the story of where I was at 28, right? When that student loan came due. And that was like a juncture of, should I run away? Should I face this? And when I chose to face it, I realized pretty early on, well, at first I thought I was the only one with this money shame or these money issues. Mm -hmm. I really did. You know, we all do. Like we're the only ones that don't know this or feel stupid in this way or, um, and pretty quickly I started looking around at my community again from all different backgrounds and realizing, Oh, I'm not the only one, you know, I'm Mm -hmm. not the only one. And early on, I knew that I needed to do my own money work similar to me researching, sexuality and intimacy and bereavement, you know, I, and grief and 
I needed to do my own work. Let's see. So a few things that happened at that time that, and, and I'm going to answer your question. It's a, I love it. Um, number one is I did start learning bookkeeping right away. I actually, the last year when I was working as a counselor in the mental health field was asked, I was working 40 hours a week and I was asked if I wanted, I think it was five hours, like in the back room doing Quicken, you know, mm-hmm. and Excel. And I, and I had to pretend that that was like a totally normal thing to be asked when they asked me if I wanted this, because, you know, I, I didn't think I can learn that, you know? And when I learned it, as I said, it blew my mind. I was, I, I felt so empowered. And soon after that, I decided to take a break from the mental health field. I, I had gotten my master's degree and I just needed a break, you know, and I started learning. I, I took a job um, in an in an accounting department of an organic bakery in a tiny little room. I thought I'd be there for three months. I was there for two years. And then I wound up creating a whole bookkeeping business for therapists and artists and coaches and contractors. And I learned so much about people mm-hmm. <laughs> about by seeing their numbers, you know? So this was all happening as I was starting to do my own money work. Me and my husband met I started my art of money work day one. I, I back then called it conscious bookkeeping. So it was conscious bookkeeping for about a decade. Um, and it's been the art of money for, I don't, I, seven years now, almost seven years. And, you know, I started creating this methodology based on what I needed, you know, at the time. And then also at that time, what happened was I was living in California. So I did my graduate studies in Boulder Mm -hmm. and then I moved to Northern California and my husband came with me. We were just six months into a relationship and I met a mentor, my first money mentor, a woman named Tamara Slayton. And I got to be with her the last two years of her life. So she had been diagnosed with cancer and she was dying and she was an incredible artist, old school educator, mama of five kids. And she had done, you know, she was always looking at the edge of culture and saying like, what is the biggest topic that needs help right now? And she went through all sorts of things like menstrual cycles and, um, helping young and doing rites of passage work with young girls and boys, and then helping them find their, their true calling and work. And then she kept hitting roadblocks around this thing called money, you know, Mm -hmm. and around the relationship to it. So the last few years she was studying economics and we met and she just got immediately what I was trying to do with integrating my previous training as a therapist and being able to hold space in such a deep way through all the ebbs and flows in people's lives and, and these new systems that, you know, I surprisingly fell in love with the the bookkeeping, you know, and the, and the money tools. And she saw that I was trying to put them together and she asked me to give a talk. And I was like, no, I, I don't teach, you know, I like to work privately with one person or maybe a couple, but I do not speak publicly at all, you know? (laughs) And she said to me, young lady, you know, it's time. And I just went out into the woods one day and, um, asked, you know, the trees and, you know, I go on walks a lot. I still hike a lot. That's one of my daily practices. And that's where I ask a lot of questions and get a lot of answers. And I basically said, what, uh, you know, what's a framework? What are concepts? What's, you know, what can I bring back to my community to help them 
and myself, you know, to begin a pathway and a journey into having a healthy, conscious relationship to money. And I just knew right away that if I was going to do that, I felt like I was being zapped with a mission. Um, and I felt if I was going to do that, I, I, there were all these books already out there on how to have a relationship to money. And they were so masculine and they felt really tough love to me. And they felt like, here's exactly how you pay down debt mm-hmm. and how you even how you invest strategy. strategy. And I was like, Oh, I love strategy, but there's so much more, you know, yes. and I need, I need a more compassionate and loving approach. And I need to bring in all these qualities that are so important to me about deeper meaning and creativity and playfulness and so on. So I wound up, you know, getting three phases, um, to a journey and went running back to the little 350 square foot cabin, um, that I was living in at the time with my husband. And we, he threw up white paper and we put up these three phases, which are now money healing, money practices and money maps. But back in the day, we called them financial therapy and values-based bookkeeping and life vision, uh, life visioning, something like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I gave my first talk and I was terrified and, you know, and then now I love speaking and I love teaching large, large groups. And, but also back in the day, I used to teach, teach groups of 10 people over and over and over, you know, and now we have almost 500 people each year in the art of money. So to answer your question, I've been doing this work, um, one baby step at a time since then. And I've been doing it personally. You know, I got on QuickBooks and I started tracking my numbers and that was revolutionary for me. As I mentioned, I started doing it as a practice every few days. Um, me and my husband started having money dates, you know, where before we didn't know, even know how to talk about money Mm -hmm. and it's a completely different money story than I do, you know? And you know, I, I, I've been walking my talk and I do this work. And then also as I would teach those small groups of 10, um, I would introduce a concept or I shared, you know, I used to teach in six weeks. I don't even know how that was possible. And I would whip through it. <laughs> here's three phases in six weeks, you know, here's your, you know, and then, and then I would see that they were having money shame, right. Or that they were stuck on something from their past that they couldn't let go of a memory or a story or a belief, or they identified the moment it came from. And I realized, wow, I left out the concept of forgiveness and my community yeah. needs, we need to add in forgiveness and maybe some forgiveness rituals or money healing rituals, or who do they need to forgive themselves or their old spouse or their God, or, you know, so I created the work and added things in, to it and matured it and fine tuned it as we went. And so it's been a process with the community and me doing my own work every step along the way. Um, and as I said, you know, I still have things that I'm learning and thing every year I say, what, what needs to happen this year? Over the last few years, there were some big ones around making sure my financial team was really in place and getting the accountant that really felt good to us and starting to have um, a financial planner that does socially responsible investing and making sure we had appointments on the calendar, you know, throughout the year and, I did our bookkeeping for years. Then my husband did our bookkeeping and now we're doing it together in online QuickBooks and we have a a bookkeeper do our business, my business bookkeeping and, and so on. So, and, oh, and then we had a child, you know, who's nine years old. So now we're, you know, we're we're learning how to do this with our child. And, Mm -hmm. you know, my publisher had asked me to do a book on, on, on money and kids. And I said, no way, you know, like maybe when he's 18. Yeah. Let me get through doing it first. Yeah. Like we're still, and there's no perfect again. Like 
I can, I've, I've written a few articles. To, I've written so many things about couples and money and creative entrepreneurship and money healing and money practices and couple, I mean, kids and money, very few articles and just trying to, and trying to share what we've been teaching our child as we go. Like, what did we teach him at three years old and four and five and six and seven and eight and now nine. Right. Mm-hmm. So we, how has this changed my life? It's changed everything. This was you know, this was the topic, as I said, that surprised the hell out of me. I thought I was going to be focusing on all those other topics. Money is the doorway into mindful, into daily mindful living for me. Um, yes, I'm still working around intimacy and grief and bereavement because money touches on all of those things, right? Mm-hmm. I, you know, had such issues with, I didn't know how to create a livelihood based on my skill set. I was making $11 an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, a master's degree. And my only options were stay in the mental health field or start a private practice. And I didn't want to do either of those things. And so I feel like becoming an entrepreneur at 32 and realizing I really can't work for anyone else and learning how to break through money ceilings and just doing this work on my own has helped me really know my value. It's helped me create a life and business and work that I love, that I'm so proud of. We do it in our marriage. We're not always perfect. Sometimes mm-hmm. we're, I'm, you know, I can be pretty feisty in my marriage, you know, like in my money work, it's all love and compassion and, you know, moments of discipline. But in my marriage, I can be really feisty. So I, I can be feisty in money dates sometimes, and then we'll stop or I'll walk away and come back. And we're just, we're practicing this stuff. We're living this stuff in every single area. So it's just been um, an incredible blessing that I got the call that I got the zap that I needed this so badly and received so much support from different people and mentors and created a great colleague community over the years and, and just have been able to create a body of work that I truly believe in. And that I love and that I practice daily. Mm-hmm. That's a little bit of my answer. <laughs> yeah. Well, it sounds like it's been a lifelong journey uh, of, and it's still it's still in progress yes as yes. as all of our lives are but this has been so fascinating i'm sure that you know i've had a couple different um money people on and it's it's really interesting how there's there's a lot of overlap but it's different perspectives and i'm i'm so happy with the people that i've chosen to be on because and i'll link up in the show notes everybody to those couple of other money podcasts i've done with a couple of different authors and again i think it's like everybody's kind of saying the same thing but in very different ways so that's what i love about these conversations and and we will also link up to Barry's website and uh, her book and the art of money course that she has and Thank you so much, Barry. I have absolutely loved all of your wisdom and and this conversation. I'm so incredibly grateful. Thank you so much for having me. And everyone, thank you so much for joining me every week over here. And until next time, I will see you out in cyberspace. Bye-bye. 